Thanks to you, Issues Etc. consistently ranks among the top podcasts in religion and spirituality with Apple Podcasts. Please help us reach more listeners in 2024 by making a year-end gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, and a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support. In your twilight years of your life, are you going to look back and say, boy, I sure had great Instagram photos? Would it not be more meaningful if you had a grandchild's hand to hold on to, to sing hymns with you, and to encourage you, say, Grandma, I will see you again. I can't wait. The land that we're talking about, the land of Israel, God owns it. And anyone who's been on it, biblically or otherwise, has only been a manager or a steward. Jesus clearly believed in the Trinity. He rose from the dead. And until you do, I'm going with Jesus as the best witness to the truth of what is meant in the Christian church by the term Trinity. When we're talking about the the liturgy, what we're not talking about is a style of worship. Rather, we're talking about a theology of worship. Aerobatic pilots, at least this one, love issues, etc. Clear! (laughs) I do not know where this idea came from because it is historically inaccurate. You can even look at the vast majority of Christendom today and see that it is not a white religion. It is definitely a religion of all ethnicities, of all races, if you will. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. on this Friday afternoon, December the 15th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to answer arguments against Christianity. Today, Christianity is a white religion. Dr. Kirk Clayton will be our guest. Then, in Hour 2 of Issues Etc., we'll replay a study of the Advent hymn, Hark a Thrilling Voice is Sounding, with Pastor Will Whedon, hosts of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Dr. Kirk Clayton is pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Mascuda, Illinois. His doctoral research at Concordia Seminary focused on developing an apologetic response to the new atheists, and he's author of a chapter in our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3. Dr. Clayton, welcome back. Thanks. Great to be here. Why do so many believe that racism in America has its roots in Christian teaching? Well, I think we can have kind of a two-part answer to this question, one based in the actual facts of the matter and the other based in the impressions that people have and the information that's being put out about this. There is, unfortunately, the truth that some churches not only did not oppose racism and slavery as strong as they should have, but in fact contributed to it. And I should say perhaps churches might be the wrong term. It might be better to say denominations. If we look at the church being the followers of Jesus Christ who follow his teaching, then we see that you know Jesus' teaching is very clearly opposed to racism, slavery, but there have been certain denominations that have been either less or more faithful to those teachings of Jesus Christ. So the one that unfortunately has probably gotten the most press in recent years would be the Southern Baptist Convention. 
that did have some very distinct racist tendencies in its past. The Episcopalian communion also is not in terribly good shape as they look at their history regarding racism and slavery. So there have been instances where denominations, I wouldn't say the church, but denominations have not had a great track record on racial issues. Now, there are other church bodies that have done a marvelous job, and individual Christians have done a marvelous job in fighting for equality and for the dignity of all people of all races. And so Dr. Alvin Schmidt in his book, How Christianity Changed the World, does a great job of documenting how Christianity has been at the forefront of every major social improvement for the last 2,000 years, that the church has been the greatest force, not just denominations, but the church as a whole, has been the greatest force for standing up for the rights of the oppressed and for the downtrodden, for protecting the rights of the weak and the helpless. The church has been the greatest force for societal change for the good that has ever existed in history. So we can look at this question about why some people believe that racism has roots in Christian teaching in two ways. There's the actual factual background, in which case, unfortunately, there are some denominations and some Christians individually who do not have a good track record in this issue, although the vast majority of Christians and the church as a whole do. The second part of the answer, though, unfortunately, has to do with perception, regardless of the fact that, for example, Dr. Schmidt has demonstrated very, very clearly that the church has been a great force against slavery and to oppose racism, that's not necessarily the perception that is given, and largely that happens through the mainstream media. The media can pick and choose small instances and blow them very, very much out of of proportion to the point that it seems that the vast majority or the entirety of the church is not helping the cause of racial equality and dignity for all people. And so they can cherry pick individual stories or examples from individual denominations that don't have particularly good track records and say, this then represents the whole church which it doesn't. This probably shouldn't come as any shock to listeners of issues, etc. But for much of the media, for the mainstream media, we simply can't believe everything that we see or everything that we hear. So much of what passes for the news is, in fact, opinion and the attempt to sway opinions based on very, very selective reporting. And so if anybody in the church is racist or holds a racist position, the news media will tend to pick up on that and accentuate that while downplaying and ignoring all of the positive examples of what the church has done to oppose racism and to bring a much greater dignity to all people. And so as we look at how people consider racist influences in the church, we need to look at both the actual facts of the issue, which are somewhat divided, but there certainly is much, much good in the history of the church. And I would say, by and large, the church has been a much greater force 
for the dignity of all humanity than it has been to emphasize slavery and segregation. I would say that is very much a minority issue. But that's not the way it is perceived because that's not the way the story is told in the general media. And so we need to do two things in response. For one, we need to make sure that our actual actions are to support and encourage the dignity and humanity of all people as we are created by God. And then we need to do all we can to tell that story accurately without the distortions that we oftentimes see in the liberal media. What did Jesus teach in this regard? Well, that's a really important place to start because with our Christian theology and our Christian practice, we need to start with Jesus himself. And this goes beyond the issue of racism or slavery or segregation or anything else. Just as a general practice, we need to root our teaching and our practice in what Jesus himself does. Then we move out from what Jesus has said and what Jesus has done to what others in Scripture, the prophets and the apostles, have written about that. But we start with Jesus, and then we move out from there. One of the reasons that's important is there are a lot of things in Scripture, and it's possible to take Scripture wildly out of context. So we need to root first what we say and do in Jesus' teaching and then use that as the way to interpret Scripture as Scripture interprets Scripture. We start from Jesus and then move out. But my dad in teaching confirmation class would use the exaggerated but humorous example of you could say that scripture tells us go and sin. Jesus tells the woman caught in adultery, go and sin. He also adds the next words, no more. But if you leave out those words, no more, you can twist scripture to say about anything you want. But we need to start with accurately understanding what Jesus taught, what Jesus did, and then use that to interpret the rest of Scripture, not take any passage of Scripture individually or out of context, but see what does the entirety of Scripture testify to that. But we start with Jesus, and Jesus' teaching and Jesus' examples are quite clear. Jesus gives the command, for example, to go into all nations to spread the gospel. He doesn't distinguish. He says, start where you're located in Jerusalem and then to Samaria and to the outermost parts of the earth. So Jesus' own teaching is inclusive of all people of all nationalities, not exclusive in any way and not superior in any way. It simply says, start where you are and then move out and share God's love with all. And so Jesus' teaching is rooted in his love and his welcome for all people as we recognize we are all sinners. There is not one of us that has not sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we are all of all nationalities, of all ethnicities, equally in need of Jesus' love. And Jesus is equally joyful to share that love with all. What example does Jesus give regarding interacting with people of other nationalities and ethnicities? Well, maybe surprisingly, there are a number of places where Jesus interacts with people of other ethnicities, and they are all very positive interactions. The reason I say that might be surprising is Jesus, as a Jewish man living in Galilee and interacting in 
Judea didn't have a lot of contact with people who were non-Jews. And yet virtually every time he does, there is a welcome and a great blessing involved in that. And in Matthew chapter 8, we see an encounter that Jesus has in Capernaum with a Roman centurion. This Roman centurion, who is not Jewish, and he would actually be quite despised because he was Roman, he was an oppressor, he was a military officer, asks Jesus, come and heal my servant. Yet he says, but you don't even need to come to my house. You can simply say the word and he'll be healed. And Jesus commends him by saying, truly, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And so Jesus welcomes this man's petition. He does say the word. The servant is healed. And so Jesus blesses this man who has no Jewish ties and in fact could be accused of being an oppressor of the Jewish people. And Jesus welcomes him and Jesus heals him. We also see an indication of Jesus' welcome for all people as he, at one point, as he's traveling from Galilee to Judea, travels through Samaria. Oftentimes, Jews at that time would take a a long detour and go around rather than even passing through Samaria. But Jesus goes right through Samaria and he comes to the woman at the well, who is Samaritan, not a Jew. And he talks with her, he teaches her, he shows her her sin, but also then gives her the gospel and welcomes her. And so again, there's an example of Jesus interacting in a very favorable way with people who are not of his own ethnicity. And then thinking of the Samaritans, we can also think of a parable that Jesus taught of the parable of the good Samaritan, where if you want to think about heroes and villains in the story, the villains really are the leaders of the Jewish people, the priest and the Levite who pass by on the other side. The hero of the story is the Samaritan. And we probably are familiar from Sunday school on up, the animosity that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. And I would hazard a guess that the animosity between Jews and Samaritans in Jesus' time is probably much, much stronger than any racist feelings that we have in the United States today. Our residual racism is probably quite tame compared to the feelings that the Jews had for the Samaritans, and yet Jesus uses a Samaritan, one who would be absolutely hated by most of his fellow Jews, as the hero of the story, showing that the Samaritan welcomes this wounded Jewish man, cares for him, provides for him, pays for his ongoing treatment. And Jesus says, this man, the Samaritan, is acting as a neighbor, as we should then likewise do for each other also. And there are you know, various cases also where Jesus interacts with the Syrophoenician woman who asks him to heal her daughter. Jesus pushes her a little bit to show her the depth of her faith, but he heals her daughter. Every time that we have an example of Jesus interacting with someone who is not ethnically Jewish, it is a positive interaction where Jesus welcomes that interaction and gives his grace and blessing equally to the person who is not ethnically Jewish as much as he would for people who would be, as we would think, of his own people. So Jesus does not make any distinction. Jesus welcomes people of all backgrounds in his own examples as well as in his teaching. We are answering arguments against Christianity today. Christianity is a white religion with Dr. Kirk Clayton. When we come back, does the New Testament anywhere teach racism? 
The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December uses detailed illustrations and rhyming text to tell the story of Jesus' birth. It's titled, N is for Nativity. This new hardcover children's book is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about N is for Nativity at issuesetc.org. Use the ABCs from Advent to Zion to teach your children and grandchildren the Christmas story with N is for Nativity. You're personally invited to join Lutherans for Life and Why for Life in celebrating the theme, Just As I Am, January 14th through the 20th during Life Week 2024. Each theme day will explore a distinct aspect of life ministry through local activities, online educational events, interviews, and more. Find out more at lutheransforlife.org. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Lutheransforlife.org. Solid. Serious. Substantive. You're listening to Issues Etc. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial a podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Memoria Press is a worldwide leader in the publishing of classical Christian education. We have everything you need for students in kindergarten through 12th grade, and our materials can be used in any classroom setting to suit your needs. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 to save $5 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're responding to the argument that Christianity is a white religion. Dr. Kirk Clayton is our guest, author of a chapter in our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3. This book is available for a year-end donation to Issues Etc. We'll send you Objections Overruled 3 and a new recording of 15 Christmas and Epiphany hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir for a year-end contribution of $250 or more. You can donate online at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call, 618-223-8385. Thanks for listening, and thanks for including the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. in your year-end giving. Dr. Clayton, does the New Testament anywhere teach racism? That is um, the question that we need to go back to what I mentioned. You could probably take any passage of Scripture and twist it out of context in some way. And so I would never be surprised if someone who has an anti-Christian bent would say, well, the Bible says, more often they may point to the Old Testament in this topic, but maybe point to something in the New Testament and say, well, the Bible says, and then take something radically out of context or take something that is rephrased or used in a different translation to seem to say something that the entire message of Scripture does not. And we need to remember that Scripture interprets Scripture. And as I go back to saying, we need to drive this first back to Jesus' own words and teaching and then understand and interpret other things in light of what Jesus says. So I wouldn't be surprised if somebody could point to 
a snippet of scripture or a snippet even specifically in the New Testament and say, see, this teaches racism. One thing that might be pointed to is there are places where St. Paul talks, for example, with Philemon and Onesimus about he doesn't encourage for the slave to be set free in this case, but he sends him back to his master with the understanding that they are now brothers in Christ, and that changes everything. We need to understand that Christianity at the time the New Testament was written was a very, very small and politically utterly powerless little group. Perhaps, you know, a few dozen, a few people here, a few hundred people there had absolutely no political power to change anything in the Roman Empire whatsoever and could simply teach the brotherhood and sisterhood of all in Christ and the love that we are to show for all. And so people could say perhaps that because the New Testament doesn't demand an end to slavery, that it supports slavery. No, that's a complete misunderstanding. Scripture is simply starting where it can to work towards sowing the seeds for far greater humanity and understanding of each other in all places, in all times. And we now are in some ways reaping the benefits of that in seeing that we are all one in Jesus Christ. So there, I'm sure there are people that would point to various things in the New Testament and say that those are racist, but that would be a misinterpretation and a misunderstanding of what the New Testament teaches. And in fact, in many ways, the New Testament does explicitly teach exactly the opposite. And so St. Paul, for example, writes, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. And those were the two basic distinctions throughout the Bible. There were the Jews and the Goyim, the chosen people of God and everybody else. And so St. Paul says, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's from Romans chapter 10. So St. Paul says, we are all one in Jesus Christ. We all have the same Lord, all have the same Savior, and God bestows his riches on all, regardless of your ethnicity. And so Paul gives a great leveling, a great equaling of all ethnicities there. Then also in Galatians chapter 3, St. Paul says, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. Interesting that distinction there, very specifically about slavery. Slavery and freedom have no intrinsic meaning in Christianity because we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. That's Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. And so again, St. Paul makes very, very clear that any external differences in ethnicity, and nation of origin, none of this matters because we are all equally sinners before God and we are all equally redeemed by Jesus Christ. We have been baptized into the same Lord, we've received the same Christ, and we are one in Jesus Christ. To uh, perhaps keep beating a dead horse, we look at uh, Colossians chapter 3, where St. Paul again says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but in Christ, Christ is all and in all. That's Colossians 3, 11. And so St. Paul through the New Testament consistently gives the view that these external 
barriers, these external differences don't matter, that we are all one in needing salvation and receiving that same salvation from God. And as we are one in receiving forgiveness, we are one as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so racism and any of these distinctions based on external characteristics have no place. Does the Bible teach the concept of race at all? There are a couple of places where the term race is used, and generally it's as I mentioned that there is the Jewish people and then there are the Goyim, the Gentiles, but that is not a distinction that separates people from the the love of God. I would say that the better way to look at race in the Bible, if we want to look at the term race, I this is kind of billboard theology, but I saw a billboard that says there's only one race, the human race. And while that may be kind of pop theology, there is a deep-seated truth there. In the beginning, God created them, male and female, he created them, and that is the beginning of all humanity in Adam and Eve. We are all children of Adam and Eve. We are all extended cousins and family. And so any external differences, where we live, how tall we are, how much we weigh, what color our hair is, what color our skin is, what color our eyes are, All of those are utterly irrelevant because we ultimately all are brothers and sisters, cousins, extended cousins, through common descent from Adam and Eve as created as children of God. And so if we look at race, the best thing we can do is say we are all the same race. We're all the human race. We are all descendants of Adam and Eve. And so we are all one huge human family. And any distinctions within that are superficial and, frankly, silly. We have no justification to divide people based on the color of their skin or where they grew up or what their ethnicity is or what their language is. We are all commonly descended from Adam and Eve, and we are all then one human race, one family. Why must Christians then oppose racism? Frankly, because it's a sin. (laughs) To not put too fine of a point on it, but racism is a sin. God calls us to love and to sacrifice ourselves for our brothers and sisters around the world. He calls us to defend the defenseless. He calls us to help the helpless. He calls up us to stand up and defend the oppressed and the downtrodden. And when we fail to do those things, as racism does, then we are failing to uphold God's commands, and that is a sin. God calls us to love one another as he has loved us. Jesus has shown by his example that he welcomes people of all nations, all tribes. St. Paul makes that very clear in the passages we just shared, and there are other places we could go to. And so for us to fall short of that example and command that Scripture gives is a sin. I keep saying this. It is a sin. Why do we oppose racism? Because racism is a sin, and we are not to engage in sin. We can't be more clear and blatant than that. God calls us to love. Racism gives in to hate. We are called to strengthen those who are weak, and racism would prey on those who are weak. Racism is the opposite of the lifestyle that God calls us to live. Jesus shed his blood for every one of us. It doesn't matter what color your skin is or what color your eyes are, what color your hair is, if you have hair or not, whether you're tall or short, Jesus died 
and rose to bring salvation to us all. I remember a um, Sunday school song from when I was growing up. I think this has probably been tamed down a little bit now, but what I learned was red and yellow, black and white, we are children in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And in some ways, it can just be that simple. External differences don't matter. Jesus calls us all as his children. I believe the more common uh, politically correct term now is every child of every land, Jesus holds them in his hand. Jesus loves the little children of the world, which is fine. It conveys the same thing without mentioning specific colors or ethnicities. But it's that simple. Jesus loves us all. And if we choose not to love one group of people for one reason or another— Are they intrinsically any better or worse spiritually than we are? No. And so if we are denying them love and respect and denying perhaps even that God should show his love and respect for them, are we then not also intrinsically denying that God should or could show his love to us and give us his salvation? But that's not the way it works. God shows his love. God gives his salvation, offers that salvation to all. And we have no place whatsoever in loving people less or differently than God does. To do otherwise is to sin. Racism is a sin. Christians are not to be involved in sin, and it's that simple. We cannot be involved in racism. We must oppose racism. We must work against racism because we must strive against sin. We're not saved on the basis of that. We're, of course, saved by God's grace and forgiveness, but that doesn't excuse us from fleeing from sin and struggling against sin at every opportunity, and racism is sin. Dr. Kirk Clayton is our guest. He's responding to the argument that Christianity is a white religion. On the other side, what about previous generations of Christians who did hold racist beliefs? Thanks to you, Issues Etc. consistently ranks among the top podcasts in religion and spirituality with Apple Podcasts. Please help us reach more listeners in 2024 by making a year-end gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, and a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support. Under a starlit sky in Bethlehem, a divine event unfolded. We read from Luke 2-7, And she gave birth to her firstborn son. As we ponder these words, we're reminded that the Savior was born in the midst of ordinary surroundings, yet it was extraordinary. From all of us at Lutheran Church Extension Fund, may this Advent season fill your life with the extraordinary, even amid the ordinary. Husband, wife, daughter, son, grandchildren, godchildren, pastor, the kids at church, Basically, every one of your Christian loved ones is catered for at Ad Crucem. We are the place to go for all your Christmas purchases. Stock up on our amazing Christmas cards, Christmons, Christmas ornaments, unique Christian jewellery, springly cookie moulds, gifts, and much more. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Where doctrine is life. You're listening to Issues Etc., 
come and, and experience firsthand by sitting down in classes and actually hearing professors, coming to chapel, which is always the high point of the day, to hear the Word of God and to lift our voices in song. Issues Etc. regular guest Dr. Paul Grimm on why you should consider visiting Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Spend time talking to professors. I mean, there's not a professor here who will not be willing to, to take time, whether it's after chapel during the coffee hour or just to come into one's study and, and sit down and talk for a while, to answer questions, to you know, help them to get a sense of, A, you know, do they want to be a pastor or a deaconess? And then B, is this the right place? And well, maybe C would be the question, is now the right time for them to make that decision? If you've contemplated the vocation of pastor or deaconess, contact Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, 1-800-481-2155, 800-481-2155, or send an email to admission at ctsfw.edu. We are answering... Arguments Against Christianity today. Christianity is a white religion. Dr. Kirk Clayton is our guest. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. What do we do about previous generations of Christians who did hold racist beliefs? That's a very challenging question and a very hot-button issue as we think about reparations and should, for example, white people pay reparations to people that their ancestors may have taken advantage of. The challenge there, of course, is that not all people were racist, not all held slaves. So there's just a very messy calculus there. But ultimately, we need to remember that the message of Christianity is not I'll get even with you. I will get payback on you. The central heart of Christianity is forgiveness. We think time and time again of examples when Christians or even Jesus Christ himself were being killed. As Jesus was being nailed to the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We see the same thing with Stephen as he is being stoned. He cries out for the forgiveness of those who are stoning him. And to say that we need to punish people for previous generations who held racist beliefs is to deny this great Christian joy of forgiveness. And that is where true freedom is found. Freedom is not found in holding grudges. Freedom is not found in trying to get reparations for past problems. The greatest joy, the greatest release, the greatest freedom is letting it go. That is the, the beauty of Christianity found in forgiveness. And when we try to punish people today for the sins of past generations, this is holding grudges to an extreme. This is withholding forgiveness. This is antithetical to Christianity. We need to embrace even those who have done us wrong and extend forgiveness, not punishment. A few years ago, I believe it was the summer of 2020, about the height of some racial tensions when Confederate statues were being torn down and various monuments were being destroyed or defaced. I was at a conference as a speaker, and one of the other speakers at the conference was an African-American scholar who had experienced some degree of racism in his life, and he would challenge us to recognize that, yes, there is a problem with racism among many people in our society today. That definitely is the case. But then he said, 
it doesn't work to tear down the statues of the people that you disagree with. Remember, that's exactly what was going on at that time. He said, because you might tear down a statue of one person you disagree with, but then perhaps a few years later, another person would come to political power and they're going to tear down the statues of the people that you cherish or tear down the statues that you raised up in place of the ones that you tore down. And it's a never-ending cycle. It kind of reminds one of watching preschoolers and so one little preschooler maybe does something that offends the other. And so the, the next one escalates it and you know maybe pushes the first preschooler. The other preschooler then punches the first one who then kicks the other one to the ground. And it, the cycle just escalates and escalates. Whereas the way to break that cycle is to forgive. Because if we try to punish people today for what happened in previous generations, that in itself now is building resentment in a new generation, and it simply escalates the problem into the future. Retaliation is never the answer. Forgiveness is the answer. And so, yes, we might need to acknowledge that previous generations of Christians did not handle things as they should. And we can lament that the church did not take stronger stances against racism, especially in certain denominations, as I mentioned 50 years ago, 100 years ago. But what we need to focus on is how we forgive and move forward to the future, because we are not taught to punish people based on what happened 50 years ago, 100 years ago. Jesus doesn't even cry for punishment for those who are actively sinning against him at the cross. We don't dwell on the sins of the past. We perhaps recognize them, acknowledge them, repent of them, but we move forward in forgiveness. What is anti-racism and why must Christians also oppose it as vigorously as racism? Anti-racism is kind of oddly named. One would think that anti-racism means to oppose racism, and that's what it's supposed to convey. But in fact, the teachings of anti-racism are in itself racist. Anti-racism is kind of the opposite of what I just mentioned, that we need to let the past go and forgive it and move forward in peace together. Instead, anti-racism says we need to look at the sins of the past and get retribution for them, get compensation for them. And in fact, we need to punish current descendants of people who sinned in the past so that we can kind of get a leg up for the future. One of the founders and leaders of the anti-racist movement is Ibram X. Kendi, and I want to quote him directly. He said, the only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. Notice that he acknowledges there's discrimination, there's racism in the past, which we need to acknowledge as well. But rather than forgive, Kendi says what we need to do is to discriminate in the opposite direction. And so if to overgeneralize, whites have discriminated against blacks in the past, blacks need to discriminate against whites in the present. So anti-racism is not calling to oppose racism. It's simply calling to reverse racism. And that may well be a better term, not anti-racist, but reverse racist. 
It's saying that if you were oppressed in the past, it's not that you forgive and move forward as equals. You now should oppress those who oppressed your ancestors. It's the exact same thing as caused the problems in the past, just brought into the present. And in fact, Kendi says, needs to go into the future. That if anybody is acting in a racist way today, you need to be racist in the opposite direction into the future to counteract that. And so anti-racism is, in fact, very openly, very blatantly racist. And to go back to what I said, racism is a sin. For a white person to be racist against, for example, a black person is a sin, but it goes both directions. For someone who is of a minority that perhaps had been persecuted in the past to be racist against, for example, someone who is white is a sin. Racism, period, is a sin. It doesn't matter who is racist against whom. It doesn't matter who's the oppressor, who's the oppressed. To be in that relationship at all is a sin. And so anti-racism is just as big a problem as old-fashioned racism was 50 years ago, 100 years ago. And so there is no forgiveness in anti-racism. It's rooted in reparations and it's rooted in getting even which is holding grudges, it is building resentment into future generations, and it is completely the opposite of the message that Jesus Christ gives us, where we are to move past what has happened previously and forgive one another. That is the heart of anti-racism is actually racist. To say it's anti-racist is a misnomer. It's, it's trying to put a positive spin on it. It is, in fact, a racist teaching. It's reverse racism, not anti-racism. It's reverse racism. We are responding to the argument that Christianity is a white religion. Dr. Kirk Clayton is our guest, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Mascuda, Illinois, and author of a chapter in our forthcoming book, Objections Over World 3. Why did anti-racism as an ideology catch on so quickly? Listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season, lutheranpublicradio.org. When Christ came to earth, he did not come as a fully formed man. Rather, he took on flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He became a lowly embryo and thereby, in this act, made every child a gracious gift of God. No asterisks, no footnotes. To learn more about the blessing of children, pick up the December issue of The Lutheran Witness, cph.org slash witness or our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. We're supported by listeners like you. You're listening to Issues Etc. This is Pastor Matthew Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The LCMS operates the second largest parochial school system in the United States. What can you expect from a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school? There's one race, the human race. And Jesus died for the sins of every man, woman, and child from every land and every nation. Life begins at conception. All life is precious from womb to tomb. And every student, parent, and teacher is created in the very image of God. There's right and wrong, and we know which is which from the Ten Commandments. There are only two sexes, 
Male and female, he created them. Marriage is the lifelong union of one man and one woman. There's such a thing as objective, absolute truth, and it's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and His Word. To find a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school near you, visit lcms.org schools. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkins. This is Issues Etc. We're responding to the argument that Christianity is a white religion. Dr. Kirk Clayton is our guest, author of a chapter in our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3. We were talking before the break about anti-racism. How did this ideology catch on so quickly and so thoroughly? Well, this is sinful human nature. As I mentioned, you look at these two uh, preschool kids and they escalate there's not a single person alive that hasn't seen that happen or been involved in it ourselves frankly jesus teaching of welcome and forgiveness is really really hard to do so to say i'm going to break this cycle of oppression i'm going to break this cycle of racism and i am going to forgive it's the opposite of our normal human nature. Our normal human nature is fallen. Our normal human nature is sinful. And so left to ourselves, we are going to disobey God. Left to ourselves, we're going to fall into sin. Left to ourselves, we are going to hate and seek judgment and punishment rather than forgive. To forgive is hard. To forgive, frankly, costs Jesus his life. And to forgive can cost us as well. And we're simply not willing to make that sacrifice. Many are not willing to make that sacrifice. And so it's not a surprise that anti-racism has caught on. It's not a surprise that racism was popular. It's sin. Sin feels good at first. There are always consequences, but initially sin feels good. It is hard to walk in Christ's way. Jesus says, you know, broad is the path that leads to the destruction. Narrow is the gate that leads to salvation, and few find it. And that's true not just of salvation in general, but of the Christian life. What Jesus teaches is so different from what our sinful nature wants that it is very hard to walk in this way. And so as we look at society, it's not surprising that we see racism on one side. It's not surprising, I guess, frankly, that we see anti-racism on the other side. But we need to remember that the church must not have its agenda set by culture. The church must not stick its finger up in the wind and see what direction is the wind blowing and have that set our priorities. Our priorities have to be driven by the Word of God and what Jesus says. It doesn't matter what's popular. It didn't matter if racism and slavery were popular 100, 150, 200 years ago. It was wrong, and the church should have opposed it more strongly. It doesn't matter if anti-racism is popular in society today. It is racist, it is sinful, and we need to oppose it today. It doesn't matter if it's unpopular. The church is not a popularity contest. The church is guided not by what the world wants to see or hear or by the promise of, well, if you teach what my itching ears want to hear, then the pews will be filled and the collection plates will be filled. That doesn't matter in the church. What matters in the church is what does Jesus say? What does Scripture teach? And so anti-racism may be the popular in thing right now. 
And it's sad to see there are a number of church bodies that are chasing after anti-racism and allowing the culture to set the priority for the church because it's popular and because they might get a pat on the back from a sympathetic liberal news media. They might have a few people attracted to this. And so in order to bow to culture, then churches are swallowing anti-racism. Some denominations are swallowing anti-racism hook, line, and sinker. We can't allow, no matter what is popular or what seems to be the big thing in culture, to set the agenda for the church. We follow Jesus Christ, his teaching, his word, as that then expands out into the explanations in the apostles, the prophecies from the Old Testament pointing to Jesus. That sets our agenda in the church, not whatever is popular, not whatever seems to be the in thing or the going fad in the the secular society. There's an old saying that I've mentioned a number of times, the church that weds itself to the spirit of the age quickly finds itself a widow in the next. And so now in culture, anti-racism is the big thing. 20 years from now, 50 years from now, it may not be. And if church has set its entire priorities based on an anti-racist agenda, then when that anti-racist agenda falls out of popularity in culture, then that church is left behind. The true nature of the church is to stand strong and unflinchingly on the word of God, regardless of how popular or unpopular it is in culture. And generally, it's not popular in culture. Remember, Jesus was put to death by culture. The apostles were put to death by culture that firmly disagreed with them. So the Christian message, the authentic Christian message is not going to be overwhelmingly popular in culture. That doesn't matter. The church needs to have its agenda set by the word of God. And so, yes, anti-racism might be very popular. We can understand why it is, because it, it appeals to our sinful human nature that wants retribution, that wants to get back at people. If you hurt me, I want to hurt you worse. That simply is the way that human nature works, and anti-racism plays to that in spades. The Christian message needs to be that which Jesus gives of love and forgive. That needs to be what sets the agenda for the church, not what is popular in society. It sounds as though old-fashioned racism and the new fad of anti-racism are really just two sides of the same coin. What do you think? I would say that's absolutely right. That's why I said before, anti-racism is not the best term. It's simply reverse racism. Anti-racism is racism. It explicitly calls for discrimination. That if you were discriminated in the past, now you have the right, almost the obligation to discriminate currently. So anti-racism teaches that you should discriminate. You should be racist against those whose ancestors were racist in the past. So yes, anti-racism and racism are two sides of the same coin. They are the same thing. Anti-racism and racism are both racist. They're both sins. Not only that, in their results, they also essentially say that it's kind of identitarianism. It's the first thing that I can and must notice about another person is their race. I'm morally obligated to notice their race and act accordingly in both racism and anti-racism. Yeah, and what more trivial thing can you point to? Are we not far more than our external appearance? I'm not an overwhelmingly great physical specimen. 
Uh, you know, I have gray hair. My eyesight is failing. I am uh, typically uh, American overweight. I mean, you look at me, I'm not going to be a Hollywood movie star anytime soon. But you know what? That's not who I am. Those are just extraneous externals. And the same thing with skin color. It is an arbitrary, silly distinction. But to say that I am going to judge you based on an external feature rather than your heart, your mind, your actions, you're missing the humanity of who that person is. And so to either be traditionally racist or anti-racist and to say I'm going to judge you based on an external characteristic and one as superficial as the color of your skin, you go a quarter of an inch down and it's irrelevant. And so to judge someone and to write them off based on an external characteristic, you're losing the richness of who that person is. I hope people don't look at me and say, oh, he's not terribly attractive. I I don't want anything to do with him because I would like to think there's so much more to me than just, you know, what you see if you look at a picture or look in a mirror. And so for anybody of different ethnicity, of different skin color, for me to simply write them off based on what I see, I am losing the opportunity to treasure their true humanity. Our external color, our external characteristics have nothing to do with who God has made us to be. And so, yes, to say that either racism or anti-racism together judge people just on externals, yeah, that's right. And it's a huge problem because we lose who we are as redeemed people of God in Christ, and we lose the treasures that we all contribute regardless of the external skin color. Finally, what picture of humanity does the Bible portray before God? I think one of the most beautiful pictures of humanity is found in the book of Revelation. There are a lot of people that are kind of scared of Revelation because of misunderstanding the various prophecies there. But as we look at Revelation as the message of the triumph of Jesus Christ, this is what that ultimate triumph looks like from Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And as we think about this passage, we see that we are one. And it says people from all tribes, all peoples, all languages. It doesn't say race because race doesn't matter. People from different places, they look different. They've talked differently. They've had different cultures, different customs. It doesn't matter. We're standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in the white robes that Jesus Christ has given us, saved by the same grace from one to the next of any tribe, of any language, of any people, praising God together. A number of years ago, I was at a political rally and there was a broad, broad diversity of people from different denominations, different ethnicities, different backgrounds. And the speaker, kind of extemporaneously at the beginning of his remarks, looked out and said, I want you to look around. This group looks like heaven. 
looking directly at this passage from Revelation chapter 7, because there are people of every tribe, every people, every language, every group represented there, and we were there together, unified in the name of the Lord. And so that is the picture that Scripture gives, that we are one and we will be one. And so we look forward to this day when any silly external distinctions don't matter. We look forward to the day when we can stand shoulder to shoulder with people from every tribe, every language, every people group, whatever external color or feature you may be, and recognize that we are one in Jesus Christ, because that will truly be the visual fulfillment of what is the reality now. The externals don't matter. We shouldn't judge by the color of our skin. We shouldn't judge by what we see. We look at what Jesus sees, and that is a sinner redeemed by his blood, covered by his love, given that same salvation. We look forward to that day when we stand together before the throne of God, people from every tribe, every nation, every group, every language, every people, being the one united people that we, in fact, should be now. And we look forward to that day with great eagerness. Dr. Kirk Clayton is pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Mascuda, Illinois. His doctoral research at Concordia Seminary focused on developing an apologetic response to the new atheists. He's author of a chapter in our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3. Kirk, thank you. Thanks so much for the opportunity to be with you. In Hour 2 of Issues Etc., a replay of a conversation about the Advent hymn, Hark a Thrilling Voice is Sounding, with Pastor Will Whedon, host of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay with us. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.